This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio and Destiny of the Dead, the second audiobook in the Shroud of Prophecy series, written by Kel Cade and read by Nick Podell. With dogged determination and the ability to bind souls to their dead bodies, Aslo and his friends continue to fight the Baru's monstrous army. Meanwhile, Shuri, the avatar of a vengeful fire god, has united the survivors and begun her own war on the invaders. Now Aslo and Shuri must find a way to unite their powers to throw back the monsters of the Baru and challenge death itself. Again, that's Destiny of the Dead by Kel Cade, in audiobook read by Nick Podell from Macmillan Audio. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 125, and we are recording on March 18th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Vanessa Diaz, covering for Sharifa Williams, who is out with like a serious frog in her throat situation. Um, But Vanessa, it's always such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm excited to be back. Obviously, under better circumstances would be better, but our poor friend sounds like the Crypt Keeper, so here we are. She really does. It's something, y'all. It's something. (laughs) (laughs) One day she'll have her voice back, and on that day, she will be back in her podcasting chair but until then we are delighted uh by vanessa's presence in our midst and so today this is this was fun actually because we had to redo the whole agenda when we realized sharifa wasn't going to be able to record but it meant that i could sneak in a listener request big shout out to robert who sent us a delightful email and a request to talk about speculative poetry and i was like oh i feel like we did that before and i went and checked in the last time was 2020 so that was a whole two years ago (laughs) (laughs) so it's time for a refresh and I will say what was interesting about Robert's email was that it mentions how much poetry is in some science fiction and fantasy books, like how it's ba- like not that mm. the books are in written in poetry, but there's like poetry in the books, like spells or like songs or, you know, yeah. like the the one ring poem, right, is a famous example. Oh, totally. Which I am. Uh, on record as being tired of hearing in pre-trailers of things. <laughs> like, I am But, good. like, still, it's <laughs> iconic. So, it is. and that's not what we're going to talk about today. I have that filed away for another episode where we have a little more mm. prep time to, like, locate and think about that. So today we're just going to talk about speculative poetry that we found. And I think both of us have, like, a very complicated hashtag relationship with poetry. So Absolutely. this will be fun. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I was obviously this topic just lended itself to us being able to pull stuff together. But I think Jen and I have both talked about uh, separately and together about how we sometimes feel like we're bad at poetry. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. I, I, I enjoy it. I like engaging with it. I love it on audio in particular, which, you know, in theory is how poetry was like always meant to be right. consumed. But I right. am absolutely one of those people that can quickly get drawn into that like I don't get this because I want to analyze it the way I would a piece of just regular prose and that is just Mm. not how you have to engage with a lot of poetry you kind of just have to let it happen and that I'm not always a let it happen person but I'm trying to be (laughs) (laughs) and one of these poems was an absolute let it happen to me um that I was like okay I'm gonna even though yeah we'll get to that later but yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I had a very interesting experience prepping for this, but we'll talk about that when we get to yes. the actual topic. First, we're going to do some sponsors and some news. Uh, so our sponsor, which I will say I am very excited to talk about while Vanessa is on the show, because we share 
a love of tea that is epic. Yes. So this, yes, this sponsor is A Magic Steeped in Poison by Judy I. Lin with Fierce Reads. And this is about a magical tea situation. Pardon? For Ning, our main character, the only thing worse than losing her mother is knowing that it's her own fault. She was the one who unknowingly brewed the poison tea that killed her, the poison tea that now threatens to also take her sister's shoe. When Ning hears of a competition to find the gr- kingdom's greatest Shenongshi, masters of the ancient and magical art of tea making, she travels to the imperial city to compete. The winner will receive a favor from the princess, which may be Ning's only chance to save her sister's life. But between the backstabbing competitors, bloody court politics, and a mysterious and handsome boy with a shocking secret, Ning might actually be the one in more danger. This is a debut novel that they are billing as perfect for fans of Lee Bardugo and Adrian Young. I like side note, fans of tea and competitions, though. Hello, like me. This is my wheelhouse right here. This is it. <laughs> And this is also inspired by Chinese and Taiwanese history and mythology, which puts a fantastical spin on the art of tea making. Like, just put it in my eyeballs right now. So, yeah, I'm I'm very excited about this sponsor, as you can tell. I needed to Um, mute myself there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It is the first in a duology. uh, The book two of Venom, Dark and Sweet is coming out this year as well in August. It's like they knew that I wasn't going to want to wait. So, yes, again, this is A Magic Steeped in Poison by Judy I. Lin with Fierce Reads. Hashtag put it in my eyeballs. I absolutely want that now. Yes, right? Like, I need it. I, I confess, I, I saw I was prepping for the show and I saw this and I went and grabbed the galley on Alevice immediately. I, I was like, muted no. myself to open Alevice <laughs> so you couldn't hear me typing. <laughs> I was like, mm. oh, delightful. Love when that delightful. happens. All right, Vanessa. So, you know, guest choice. What uh, news story do you want to talk about first? Uh, I can't wait to talk about this one. So, the trailer for Miss Marvel has dropped, it dropped yes. on the 15th. Uh, I I have such a so first I'm just a big Marvel person and I became mm. a Marvel person during the pandemic. Um, I always kind of had I think I maybe had seen you know like the Iron Man movies or something to that effect and then over the pandemic was like yes I should watch all twenty of these films in succession in like <laughs> the chronological order someone suggested and Miss Marvel has like just been one of my favorite characters who like you know the version that some of you may be more familiar with is the version that has been played by um, oh my gosh. What is her name? Brie Larson? Larson. uh, Carol Danvers character. But Mm -hmm. Kamala Khan is another Miss Marvel from a comic that (laughs) Jen told me to read years ago when I was like, I'm in a slump and I want to read something. She's like, oh my gosh, you got to do some like comics and graphic novels. Go grab you this, this and this. So like I did exactly that. And I sat down Mm -hmm. to read Miss Marvel and was like, this is kind of meh. Like I felt like there was no story development and that it wasn't (laughs) until the day that this comic was due at the library but I was just like thumbing through it casually when I realized that when I opened the book lean of the comic a little wider I could see tear marks someone had just perfectly like exacto knifed a chunk of this comic so like no wonder it made no sense to me I was just like this she went from like walking down the street to magically being a superhero like I don't get this so the ones I went back I mean what a compelling character she's this like Pakistani American teen living in Jersey and when she, you know, hey, one day is exposed to this mist, I believe, and that gains superpowers that way. And now the trailer has dropped. And it's just everything. Like, did you get a chance to watch it? 
Yes. Oh, my gosh. I fi- I was like a week and a half late to watching this, but I finally watched it yesterday. And it, I, like, I was just also hashtag put it in my eyeballs. Like it's, <laughs> it looks so good. It looks so good. Um, Iman Villani is the actress who's playing Kamala. Yes. And oh, my God, she's amazing. It's just it has such a like fun tone to it. I like it just looked very youthful, which I was yes. wanting it to feel that way. Um, I, I just obviously Marvel for the most part is focused on older characters and that's fine. Mm. And so I was worried they were going to kind of, I don't know, sex it up, I guess. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and Ugh. she looks like just a, such a wonderful version of this character. I, I, I cannot wait to watch this. And I don't actually remember when it drops. I was just so chastised about the trailer that I forgot to check like when the actual series is coming. Yeah, it does have Spider-Man vibes to me, like this new Tom Holland Spider-Man. It's very much in line tonally, I think, with that, which is awesome. Um, And yes, I too, well, now I'm checking this post that we're linking to. uh, It's a post on Book Riot, surprise. Um, But yeah, it's going to be a series on Disney+. Plus. It does not say when it comes out in here. Whoops. Well, well, you all can Google and we'll Google as well. I'll update it in the show notes. But I, yeah, I was was a little nervous about this one, not going to why um mm-hmm. and then i watched the trailer and i was like well now i'm all in which is complicated because i already canceled my disney plus subscription i'm gonna have to reopen it so that i can watch <laughs> this and let me tell you that it pretty much takes kamala khan for me to want to resubscribe to disney plus but i will do it for kamala uh it's interesting too they've made some changes that i don't I don't I like I don't know. I'm sure it's fine, but her powers look a little different. different. The way that, you know, her costume came together in the books was so rooted in her Muslim heritage. Yep. Like she turns a burkini into her superhero outfit in the comics, which I thought was just like amazing and brilliant. Such like a cool storytelling moment. And it doesn't seem like that's going to happen on the show. But also, I'm like I'm psyching myself up to let the show be the show. Yep. Like it's a different thing than the comics obviously they're related but they don't have to be the same to both be good and we will always have the comic to go back to so absolutely yeah i wondered the same thing and i wasn't sure if it was just like hey this is like a thing that's gonna happen off screen and then i arrived at the same place of like well i'm just gonna let to have have to let this happen and then engage with it critically at that time (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly so some changes but i like again i it looked the trailer is incredible so i am really i am very jazzed for this um i do want to make a quick note about disney because they're in sort of Mm -hmm. a complicated news moment right now. Um, By the time this airs, the walkouts will have happened, but uh, I'm linking to a piece in The Guardian um, that is about Disney's staff staging walkouts over Florida's Don't Say Gay bill. Uh, This is reported on by Maya Yang. And the issue here is that there is a bill in Florida which basically disallows all discussion of sexuality and gender identity in schools, which is a travesty. Um, and they have employees have been asking Disney to speak out publicly about this bill to condemn it because, you know, obvious, obvious reasons why um, Disney has a lot of clout. They could do a lot of good. But corporate leadership is like, no, we don't need to do that. And the staff are not happy about it. So 
Uh, I thought it was interesting that Marvel Studios, which is owned by Disney, has mm-hmm. publicly denounced the bill. So that's that's nice. Um, but just just to point out that we have complicated feelings about Disney right now, and that's fine. We can have complicated feelings about it. So many complicated feelings every day so of my life. All, all day, every day. <laughs> it is, that is the modern life. That is where we yeah. are. <laughs> that's where we're at. <sighs> Um, okay, let's see. Let's go to the Nebula finalists yeah. next. I want to talk about the Nebula finalists. So this list is on the Nebula Awards site, and the finalists were recently announced. I'm not going to read all of them. There, you know, you know many. how long these <laughs> lists are. Yeah, there's many. But I was I was delighted to see some book riot and personal favorites in in these categories. Um, in the category for novel, The Unbroken by C. L. Clark, which let me tell you. People will not shut up about Mm -mm. around here. Master of Gin by P. Jelly Clark. (gasps) Vanessa, are we fans or are we fans? That was the one that I was like, it's mine. I want it to win. I mean, they're all great. But anyway, I'm so obsessed. Continue. (laughs) Yeah. And then Machinehood by S.B. Divya, which was one of my favorite sci-fi novels of last year. Uh, I talked about it a bunch in various podcasts, and I really loved it. And then A Desolation Called Peace by Arcady Martin, which is the second book in the series. I've read the first one. I haven't read the second one. And then Plague Birds by Jason Sanford, which I'm not familiar with, but clearly need to get on top of. Um, There are a bunch of great authors in the Nebula, uh, excuse me, in the Novella Nebula category. Becky Chambers, (laughs) Elliot DeBedard, Premi Muhammad, who I also really love. There's some folks who are new to me that I'm going to have to look into. And I do want to call out real quick that I love this story I found that Martha Wells declined a Nebula nomination in the Novella category for Murderbot 6, which like feels extremely correct. Like Murderbot has been on these lists since since they started publishing. And often wins, and that's great because they are great. But like Martha was like, I think it's time for other people to get a little share of the of the glory Which here. Is... And I just really I respect that. I was gonna say it is both an extremely ex- respectful thing as an author and also the most probably unintentional, but like heaviest of humble brags, which is like Yes. I have won all your things. Give them to someone <laughs> else. <laughs> right. I don't need any more I'm of these good. trophies. Thanks. It's fine. <laughs> yes. Go off, Martha. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Big respect for Martha Wells for that move. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm so excited. I have. I mean, I was so excited to see the ones that I do recognize on this list that I momentarily mm-hmm. reali- like did not choose to think about how many of these things on this list I have not read of these nominees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially in like the short story categories, and I, I. Oh, but the ones that I have read, I'm super, super jazzed about. I loved Master of Jin like so, so mm. much. But yeah, mm-hmm. talk about expanding the TBR. Yeah, no doubt. This every time these lists come up, Sharif and I are like, Ooh, here well, we go. Like <laughs> <laughs> here we are, once again. <laughs> Got some reading to do. So exciting. Uh all right, what news story would you like to go to next? Let's go to the interview with Buffy. Well, not with uh, Buffy. Yes. Yeah, that's what made it sound like they were actually interviewing <laughs> Buffy. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> special SFF episode with Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh no, not really. <laughs> So as reported on AV Club by Gabriel Sanchez, Evan Ross Katz is has been interviewed for his Buffy book. Like he has a Buffy book coming out. And I mean, it's been 25 years since Buffy was mm. on the air. So it was 
fun to read through the article and just kind of go down memory lane. I didn't watch the entirety of the series, but I, you know, did watch the beginning. And so this interview basically goes into like Buffy for all that it is, all that it isn't, and, you know, exploring what they call like the Joss Whedon of it all, which is yeah. you know, the complication of the fact that, I mean, I really loved basically that Katz was willing to engage with it. And it mm-hmm. seems like he says several times, like, I don't have any preciousness towards this series. Like, I'm willing to engage with it critically. I always have. You know, goes into all the ways in which Buffy was in some ways like a feminist masterpiece, but was also hella white. And now, you know, how it's sort of complicated by the fact that Charisma Carpenter, you know, was the first who came out. Was it last year? With her stories? Yeah, she sort of started the, the, um, as, as, uh, Kat's notes, uh, Kai Cole, Joss's ex-wife, who was part of that. Those allegations have been out there for a while, but Charisma Carpenter, yeah, really broke it open um, in uh, October. No, yeah, it looks like May 2020. Um, But, well, no, the big statements were March 2021. Yeah, Yeah. the timeline is complicated. But anyway, yes, it's very, um, there's a lot of, yeah, that was a a reckoning. There's no doubt. Mm -hmm. And I'll just touches a there. lot of other, you know, care, uh, bodies of work, I guess is the easiest mm-hmm. way to put that. But um, were you yeah. a Buffy person? Like, did you watch You know, before? it's funny. I did not start. So you'll appreciate this. My first indie bookstore job out of college, oh, yeah. I was like, you know, trying to get to know my coworkers. And I had never really watched Buffy ever. And one of them invited me to a, a group of them had a weekly Buffy night where they would get together. They were rewatching the series. They were like they would have beer and like chips and everybody would bring a little snack. And I was like, well, I don't care about Buffy, but like I want to meet these people and like become friends with them. So I went and then quickly got like obsessed with it yep so i have seen all of it i own uh my favorite seasons which are three and seven don't at me and <laughs> um yeah i but i also have a lot of complicated feelings about it. this is the complicated feelings show um so it was nice to i was a little nervous about this book honestly i was like Ugh, like yeah. how much is he gonna get into it but um it seems like he really is like yep let's talk about the whiteness let's talk about yeah. the whedon stuff let's talk about it all like and that that does actually kind of make me want to pick this book up yeah sam that's always my nervousness when like going back to stuff that we love is like it's yeah you just have to approach it critically like there's uh, no one's necessarily telling you to completely dissociate yourself from right. things it's just you know look at them with a different lens and like talk about it and yeah i had that same fear but he made it pretty clear obviously the book itself yeah. will have to speak for itself but then he was like no no like like you said let's talk about it um, yeah yeah i was sort of laughing about how he's like i'm precious about sarah michelle sarah Geller, michelle Geller. Buffy. <laughs> i was like all right that's a statement <laughs> yeah i chuckled at that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But then the other so, yeah, stuff so you mentioned her for was like, he's like, yeah, why don't people ever like when they still see her and they're like, oh, hey, Buffy, and they don't talk about like Scooby Doo or Cruel Intentions right. or whatever. I'm like, I mean, to be fair, <laughs> I would call her Buffy out of all those things, too, as far as like what her legacy right. was. Like, like, hey, Scooby Doo girl. Like, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Hey. Oh, it's so funny. So, yeah, this is an interesting interview. I think it's worth a read if you are a Buffy fan. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can decide for yourself about the book. Absolutely. All right. So our final little funsy news story in here. (laughs) Sharif and I talk semi-regularly about nerd stuff in fashion. And so I could not resist chucking this on here. Uh, This is from Gizmodo, reported by Andrew Lazuski. Reebok 
is doing a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers villain shoe. <laughs> because that's a thing that is happening in our lives. And so I could, I was very excited to talk about this with Vanessa because, Vanessa, you have a different relationship with Power Rangers than I do. Yeah, my, my brother was the one that, like, super got into it. My brother and I are about three and a half years apart, so uh, I would have been obviously a teeny bit older than him when, like, the series was at its high, but... The real thing that honestly made me start paying attention to it was because, like, one of those Christmases around the time that the series got released, my brother wanted the, like, white Zord or whatever it was, Mm. like, thing. And so my parents dragged me to every Toys R Us in, like, the San Diego collective (laughs) area trying to find this thing. And I had a moment. I've been this way since a child. of like, well, now that we've bought this thing, like, now I need to engage with this series. Probably didn't phrase it that way, but I was like, fine, and then started watching it with him. And then we kind of like had fun with it. We would, you know, have little fights in the living room, like playing along with the show. So this is very delightful to like my child self. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I did not. I, I was telling Vanessa this uh, yesterday. I did not watch it as a kid. I think by the time you know, my parents were really strict about our TV for a very long time. And I think the first time I probably saw a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers episode was like when I was 12, which was too late. Like at that point, it was yeah. too late. I was trying to be cool. I mean, I was not cool, but I thought I was going <laughs> to be cool someday. So like that was not a show I was going to watch. But if I cool if I had come to I really thought I was like, maybe someday I'll be like- cool. Cool ascendance moment. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I think I would have loved it if I had seen it earlier than that. But I I missed the boat on Power Rangers. But I'm always like sort of delighted to see this kind of stuff out there because I know, you know, how formative shows like that have been for folks. And I just I just love to see the way that nerd culture manifests in fashion. Like yep. it's so interesting what gets spotlighted no absolutely and and now we have villain shoes so <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to figure out if they have like a i can't i didn't pay attention to whether like the size ranges go down to kids because my nephew is absolutely currently engaging with like whatever the latest iteration of power yeah, rangers yeah. is that'd be i would believe that it would be a huge oversight to not right? do children's like sizes to, right? in this so you'd have to you'd have to they're probably a bajillion dollars but they probably exist for a foot that grows like every two weeks Um, i was gonna say how long will he actually be able to wear them for yeah we've we've been there but yeah this is super fun i'm glad to see it (laughs) yeah yeah all right well shall i tell us about our next sponsor do it all right so this episode of sff yeah is sponsored by tor books in an alternate dimension, massive dinosaur-like creatures named Kaiju roam a warm and human-free world. They're the universe's largest and most dangerous endangered species, and they're in trouble. It's not just the Kaiju Preservation Society who have found their way to the alternate world. Others have too, and their carelessness could cause millions back on our Earth to die. So the Kaiju Preservation Society is a new science fiction adventure that takes a fresh spin on the Kaiju genre. Think, you know, Godzilla. With lots of thrills and wit, and John Scalzi is a New York Times bestselling and Hugo Award-winning author. There's already television rights for the Kaiju Preservation Society in the works. So yes, if this is, you know, this sounds exciting to me because I also loved Godzilla as a child because anything that's <laughs> fun and monstrous has always been in my vein. So anyway, that's available now wherever books are sold. And thank you to Tor Books. 
Amazing. That is definitely a new take on it. Preservation. Sure. I'm just is. thinking about like Pacific Rim is like the last kaiju things I watched. So I, that's what kept coming up when I was I wanted to make sure I got, you know, some pronunciations right. I was like, oh yeah, Pacific Rim. Right, right. Not so much on the preservation angle. Nope, not things. so much. Nope. Nope. <laughs> but you know. Anyhow. That's what that's what science fiction is for. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to get into poetry. So, okay. So I said at the top that I had an interesting experience with this. Yes. So, yeah, I I have been dipping in and out of poetry for years. I'll go through phases where I'm like, I'm going to read it. And I do. And then I stop. And then I come back. And then I stop again. And I, you know, I'm all over the place with it. I think it was interesting this time. I think I have gotten better at not caring so much about how, like, I always feel like I'm reading a poetry collection wrong mm-hmm. if I read it like I read a regular book, yeah. meaning I just read them one after the other after yep. the other. But I've tried doing it other ways, and that also doesn't work for me. So I've given up on trying to read poetry the quote-unquote right way, which probably isn't even, I mean, that's probably not even a thing. But in my head, it's a thing. So I'm letting go of that, um, which worked very well for me for my first pick, which was Clockstar Rose Spine by Fran Wilde. It is a whole collection of poems from Wilde, who is whose name should not be unfamiliar um, to listeners. She's a double award-winning Nebula, or excuse me, double Nebula award-winning author, and she like uh, she says in an interview in the back of this collection that poetry was sort of her first writing love, but she went away from it and has only recently returned to it. And this collection, y'all, is so pretty first of all it's got like pen and ink drawings from wild in the interspersed with the poetry and apparently she's like a fountain pen enthusiast um and so these are pen and ink like fountain pen and ink drawings which i just think is really cool um and a lot of these poems are not necessarily what i would call speculative like some of them are very sort of memoir personal stories, um, or just like descriptions of nature and moments in time. But a couple of them are definitely stories. And I was dying over this one called You Are 2.3 Meters From Your Destination, subtitle Commencing Route for Orpheus of Thrace. It is an Orpheus retelling done as like, <clears throat> like Google Maps directions. Oh. In and out of Hades. I, it is amazing. It's so funny and smart. And I was just like totally delighted by that. There's also a poem in here that is a resume for an unnamed goddess who is Hecate, side note. Um, And it's like, this is like, okay, like goals include is the opening words. I just was, I mean, it's genius, right? Like I was so sort of surprised and delighted by this use of poetry. I just wasn't prepared for it. And I really, I really, really loved that. And then there's also um, some other more sort of less funny, more contemplative ones like the sea never says it loves you. That is just like a you could marry the sea. Like what if what if what would it be like if you were in a relationship with the sea? And it's just beautiful. So I, I was not sad that I read this collection and I, I just, I tore through it and I feel fine about that. <laughs> well, you win. I, <laughs> I that's it. I'm leaving. <laughs> I, I mean, between like the Hecate and the Orpheus thing, I was like, well, yes, cool. <laughs> like, I just, I'm going to want that. Thank you so, so much. Oh my gosh. I will, I will, I will send you my copy. I think you will oh, love I want it. That. 
Yeah, and that's the kind of yeah. thing that I'm tend tend to be drawn to, but okay well, right i guess i will tell you right. which i am very jazzed about my picks so like that makes it sound like i think mine are not valid and that's not it it's just that i really <laughs> liked gents <laughs> but uh, so the way i approached it for me is that i um because again i too feel like i i was like am i engaging with poetry correctly and i have definitely found right. poets in recent years that like make me feel differently about that but I was kind of hell bent at first on picking two that felt more like stories. And then I realized mm. I was once again like boxing myself into like trying to define poetry in ways that maybe don't need right. to. So one of mine is very much more what I think is like kind of like story structured. And one is actually very, very short and like borderline to me is like, is this speculative? But I, I do think mm. it is just to kind of capture some breadth and depth, I guess. But my first pick comes from Uncanny Magazine, which is really great. SFF um mag that comes everything from you know fiction poetry nonfic. it's it's a wonderful collection and the one, first one that i picked is called dancing princesses it's by roshini chakshi who's one of my faves if you, mm-hmm. you know, don't know her she's the author of the gilded wolves series and the arusha series uh, which are ya and i believe middle grade respectively but just such an inventive and very beautiful person side note um seriously <laughs> like stunningly beautiful but the dancing princesses i was like where have i heard this before well, A, she actually wrote a novella that is like about, it's like a, a remix of the story of the Dancing Princesses, the 12 Dancing Princesses, which is itself a story about, it's or, or done by the, I think, Grimm Brothers. It's been redone a thousand times. Yeah, but, yeah. Right. So it's these 12 princesses who are locked every night in their rooms by the king you know their father but he can't figure out why it is that their slippers are always like worn the next day like they're worn all the way down as though they've been out and about doing stuff and he's like how is this possible i've been locking you in your rooms so he opens up this competition to all like the princes in the land that if any of them can solve it in i think like three cases and three three days and three nights like solve the mystery then um he will get he's promised like one of he can pick any one of them i think for his bride and I'm giving that context to then describe this poem, which takes it's it's it has a you know little introduction and then it breaks down in twelve different um, I guess like stanzas, kind of the perspective of each of these twelve daughters and how it's like a reinterpretation of what the door in the story means for each of them. It's really subversive and talks about like what each of them is looking for with the door representing like a different form of escape for each of them some of it Mm. feels a little dark i mean it all is a little bit dark to be fair but some more than others and again i was at first trying very hard to define like specifically what each of those pieces meant and then i kind of just took a step back and looked at it more from uh, like okay what what is the overall like arching theme of this and there is Mm. a lot of i think great stuff to be gleaned about like liminal spaces and yeah like what escape means for each of us and also asks you to kind of redefine the like happily ever after like what happens after the ever after and like was it ever really happy for some of the women in these stories so in that Mm. way I thought it was really really smart Um, so yeah and I I just love her way with words there's some sentences in there that are just chef's kiss so that was why Mm. I picked this one and I yeah I, I need to go back and kind of engage with it I think a few more times I love that. I don't know why it never occurred to me to look for poetry from authors who I've already read. Like Which I happen you can clearly to have... tell is what I did. <laughs> yes, but that's so smart and interesting because, like, what an opportunity to think about an author's work from different angles. Like how I'm like sort of over here kicking myself. Like, why didn't I think of? Well, that? we both win. 
We do both win. We get to, we. This is why we have multiple hosts. We come at things from different angles, yes. and we learn something new every time. So yeah, I am not sad about my picks either. But I like can't wait to go in and read the ones that you found as Yay. well. So and I love Roshni Chakshi's work. So and and the Twelve Dancing Princesses. So that's uh, that's like right in my wheelhouse right there. Um, I picked uh, two more. I'm cheating a little bit here, but these are shorter picks than my than my uh, collection picks. So um, both of these are from Strange Horizons. I'll just start by talking about the first one, which is All the Army Ghost Stories I Have Heard by Natalie Wang. And this is, as you might guess, a ghost story poem. And it's just like sort of a litany of, yeah, like these sort of, um, not like urban legends, but that kind of feel to it, right? The the things that get passed around and passed around and like, oh, did you hear about the one who, but they're like army, ghosty. Some of them are kind of funny. Some of them are like really dark. Um, and the whole vibe of it. I mean, it's, this poem is a big mood is what I want to say. This poem is the, like such a vibe, such a mood. And I really enjoyed this use of, you know, playing with these like rumors and legends and stories that are like campfirey um but it has more depth and weight to it in the way that Wang puts it all together and i just i don't know like i i was very compelled by it um and I discovered that Wang also has a collection of poems called The Woman Who Turned Into a Vending Machine, which like yes. <laughs> I'm sold from the title, right? Like I'm sold. I'm 100% sold. Um, and then, you know, you actually find out what it's about, which is metamorphosis, myth, and womanhood. So like, yes, sure, obviously. Uh, so I am, you know, going to put in my order for that collection because now that I've like read a whole collection of speculative poetry, I want to read more. And I'm really excited to... To have found Wang via Strange Horizons, um, which I literally just went to the Strange Horizons website and then went into the poetry archives because that's a thing you can do. We we like talked about how great speculative fiction literary magazines are in a recent episode, mm-hmm. and like this is why y'all like it's out there for you. It's just sitting there waiting for you to read it. It's amazing. So yeah, I actually did the same with. Uh, we both actually both took our picks from like the same magazines like just Mm -hmm. unintentionally i imagine to some degree but like so jen did all of hers from strange horizons i did mine from um uncanny and yeah it's it's amazing how easily accessible it was just go to poetry and well you know you don't necessarily want to judge anything by a cover or just the title like the titles alone because it's spec I was like, how do I pick from these? It was like, things you don't <laughs> right. say to witches, child memory from an old Victorian house, uh, right. stuff on fire, magicians speaking to fools. It's like, what? What? which one do I pick? <laughs> so yeah, it was an experience. Um, but as Jen alluded to, I had the idea to go and see if I could find stuff by like just authors that I really love in these. And I kind of just typed in some names at random and was super pleased when I realized that they did indeed have not only one, but two. So as Jen was talking about the fact that she cheated and actually included two poems, I was slightly typing, oh, well, in that case, I'm going to add a second one too, because (laughs) I had similar feelings. Um, So the second uh, author that I'm going to talk about is Valerie Valdez, who is a book writer, but specifically Jen and I's fave. Like I love her. Oh, yes. Cuban writer, author of... um, I was gonna say Prime Deceptions, which is actually I think the Chilling second effect. one. Chilling Effect is the first one, yes. Uh, which you know, space cats, Cuban cursing, spaceships, Amazing. space opera, like all, all the things. 
And so she has several, I think three different poems up on Uncanny. And the first one is one that I wasn't going to initially talk about because it is so short. It is like a whopping 320 words. But I kept coming back to it because of the like simplicity and like beauty of the concept. So the poem is called Assimilation. So I was already like, okay, I want to know about this, especially because I know what Valerie Valdez is about. And it is this really tight, short, little poem that is just about exactly what it sounds like. Like, I mean, some of the lines that I remember are like, my hair is too wild, so I tamed it. My uh, skin is too dark, so I lightened it. My tongue is so wrong that I cut it out. That's Mm. like the first section. And then there's the second part. And it just ends with this idea that in order to assimilate, you have to dull yourself. Like the final, final lines of the book were something about like I discarded my bones until I was left with a simmering stock of who I must become that's crying out for salt and spice. And I, it's just, it is, there's so few words on this page, but this was a perfect example to me of what poetry can do if you just don't try to put it in a box and like let it happen to you because that is what Mm. I did with this and it spoke to me so much even though there's so little to actually guide me on the page but it just makes perfect sense and it flows beautifully so that was I just couldn't not talk about it because I loved it I have literal goosebumps it's so (laughs) good Jen like I I mean again I had such a reaction to it that I kept I I had like 20 other poems that I was thinking about doing and I came back to it because I was like that that right there is like the distillation Mm. of like what poetry can do if you just let it do its thing and then she has a second one called keening that is it's a little bit longer it's like 400 words maybe but it's the story of a girl or woman who wakes up in her bed with no memory of pain but she tastes steel and sees like three droplets of blood on her white sheets and then is kind of recounting this story uh, that her abuela like told her about someone called the afilador, which is the man who sharpens knives. And so she's trying to remember basically like when she kind of hears the afilador whistling her name, like, is he coming or is he going? And what happened in the in-between. So it's really eerie (laughs) in that way. And she does the thing that I love, which is she just drops random Spanish words in there, and they're not, you mm. know, pretty ones. It's like trapo, which is a way of saying, like, it's well, it's rag, like a rag. And a palo, which is like a stick. Like, they're not, it's kind of just words that you have to engage with if you, like, understand Spanish. And they're not italicized. So it just mm. felt so authentic. And again, it has that, like, hazy, eerie feeling where, like, I still don't exactly know what it is that happened. And I, I think that's the point. But mm. it, at the end of it, you feel like unsettled. And that was all in a whopping, again, like 370 words. So now I too am like, I need to go through and read more poetry because <laughs> as a person who's been in a reading slump for a bit, like, yeah, this was just such a cool, like big, like visceral reaction for me to have to two poems that like combined don't even, you know, it's not even like a thousand words. And yet I have feelings. And that is lovely. Mm. Yeah, and that is my story. That is- that is sorcery right there. That's sorcery. I love Valerie Valdez. She's so good. Oh, she's so good. She's so, like ridiculous. Um, so, yeah. So my final cheater poem. Oh, <laughs> you. <laughs> is, is fire. Let me just preface with I found this. I was just clicking around and I honestly don't remember how I found this one. But it was like it was like fate because I am obsessed with this poem. It's called On Where to Find Strange Horizons and How to Get There by Julia Rios. And it is a like amazing sort of meta 
cultural analysis of what it means for a community to grapple with its history and it's like our complicated feelings like we really truly this I, I just can't I'm like having trouble making it it's ridiculous so this poem and there's a little bit of framing around this this poem is part of a special issue that Strange Horizons did for their 20th anniversary and Rios was an editor at Strange Horizons um, and also one of the first voices of the poetry podcast which brings me to I read this poem two ways. First, I read it with my eyeballs. And then I was like, well, the link to the podcast is right here. Like, maybe I should listen to it because, as you said, Vanessa, like, poetry is meant to be spoken aloud, right? But I often don't listen to things because I really struggle to process audio information that is only audio like I just I just I mean I just have such a hard time so I'm not good at it my brain doesn't want to do it so it it, but I did this poem both ways and I will say that I'm glad I listened to it but I I I still struggled uh to to focus in the way that I really wanted to to like fully absorb Rios's you know intent and words and and goals but This poem, it's broken into several different sections, um, some of which are like in meme format. Like it does, it plays with the whole, um, (laughs) you know, uh, regular brain, planet brain, galaxy brain. You know what Uh, meme I'm talking about? That meme. There's one in here that's like, you know, it's a it's a word problem. Like two trains leave two stations at the same time. Like Rios is just playing with everything here, but it is also so incisive and the sort of meta context of this poem is that you know the sci-fi fantasy community has been grappling with the systemic racism baked into its communities for since the start of it right like how authors of color have not been acknowledged how now we're just starting to but a lot of the awards are named after you know white supremacists like all of these things you know the the crazy voting shenanigans that have happened with the hugos like all of these things rios is talking about here but in this very like I can only say in a poetry way, like this is, it felt to me like, oh yes, this is what poetry is for. Like, this is what poetry can do. And I just, I, I'm just blown away by this poem. And it was very cool to listen to them read it. Um, because there's a little section in here that's like a, a little bit of like a, a chanty bit. Um, and that part in particular was cool to hear the rhythm from the poet themselves. But largely, I, I, I processed it better when I read it. Um, and I like highly, I mean, I cannot recommend strongly enough, whether you read it with your eyeballs or your ears, like go read it. It's so good. It's so good. I'm staring at it right now. And uh, this is nothing short of brilliant. <laughs> right? It is freaking brilliant. It's it is freaking brilliant. This word I just problem, so... this recipe, like yes. there's just so much in here. Julia and the cyclical Rios. nature of it, like oh my yep. goodness, it is it is really 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 epic. I'm gonna have to look so... up more of their work too, because yeah, yes, good job. Yeah, I will I know, um, right? to hang a lantern on something that uh, Jen just said. The really cool thing about both of these sites, and I found with a lot of poetry sites in general, is that um, a lot of them do have now podcasts or like other you know, mediums where they read the poems out loud. So yeah. every single poem that I engaged with for this show had at the bottom, like, a, you can also find this on this podcast and this episode, and then I could go listen to it. And so I did. And it was awesome. Because again, I do think that some poems can really, really have like a new layer if you hear them read. 
and that was it was great it's it's a nice different way to add a new layer yeah yeah it makes so much sense and i'm so glad that that's like a norm apparently that's you know it's delightful. So delightful. This was a delightful last minute topic change. Yes. I realized I totally like bogarted Jen halfway when she was talking through her poems. I was like, it's my turn. And that no, no, fine. you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> I got excited. <laughs> no, that was a natural handoff point. You did a great job. We, uh, I mean, we always have a good time. We so. do. <laughs> and this was a but great yeah, topic. This Super excited to go so interesting. do more of it. Yeah, I am. I am gonna try to like, because what will happen is I'll fall off the wagon again and like not think about this. I will see you on the floor next to that wagon. (laughs) But at least we have the feeling of how cool it is to be in it while we're in it. So here we are. We're telling you there's no wrong way to do it. Is what we're saying. That's what we're trying to tell you. All right. Well, SFFia is sound edited by Caitlin Brame with so many thanks to her for fixing all of our flubs and making us sound better. Um, If you would like more recommendations, including speculative poetry, we have recommendations for that over on bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And as always, thank you so much for listening and joining us on these adventures. If you would like to send us an email, maybe you have feedback, maybe you have pet pictures, maybe you have a theme suggestion, any and all welcome, sffyeah at bookriot.com. We also love to see those reviews come in on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps other nerds to find the show. And in between shows, Vanessa, where can people find you? People can find me mostly on the gram at Buenos Dias, SD. Dias is spelled like my last name. Awesome. And I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.